1: As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. You know success when you see it, or you think you do the people in the spotlight. But what about those small business masterminds who succeed at making their money work harder? They do that by having a business bank account with QuickBooks Money
0: Welcome to The Credit Edge, a weekly markets podcast. My name is James Crombie. I'm a senior editor at Bloomberg. This week, we're very pleased to welcome Rob Zabel, Global Head of Liquid Credit Strategies at Blackstone. How are you, Rob?
2: I'm great. Thanks for having me.
0: Thanks so much for joining us today. And we're also delighted to welcome back on the show, Lisa Lee, who covers credit markets from London. Great to see you, Lisa.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: Also on the show, we're going to be talking to David Havens, who covers non-bank lenders for Bloomberg Intelligence in New York. So do stay with us. But first, Rob Zabel with Blackstone, great to have you on the credit edge. You look at bonds, loans, CLOs, all the exciting stuff. Let's start though with an easy one. It was supposed to be the year of the bond, but most of fixed income has been hammered by rapidly rising yields. Meanwhile, higher funding costs and an economic slowdown was supposed to cause a lot of trouble for the riskiest companies, especially those with a lot of debt, particularly if it was floating rates, i.e. leveraged loans. And yet, if you look at the returns, bonds from the worst-rated companies and leveraged loans have actually done really well. What do you make of that, Rob? How surprised are you by this outcome?
2: Sure. Um, well, I think what you described was uh, and is accurate. Uh, the performance of the underlying fundamentals of the loans that we're lending to um, has generally been uh, you know, very, very good. The performance going into this period of rising rates um, and the growth trajectory was, uh, was really strong. And so it's not surprising um, that when you look at, at most metrics, total return for the loan asset class is, is up over 10%. Um, defaults are um, and continue to be pretty pretty minimal um, so the performance characteristics have been good but the most important thing to us I think is that the underlying fundamentals have been have been really strong and supportive of those those metrics
1: Rob do you think those fundamentals will keep on being strong as we have a, lo- a longer for higher for longer period
2: sure I think it's a good it's a good question and for sure um, you know, our team, and I'm sure most managers, their teams are and continue to uh, shock their portfolios for different rate scenarios. But in a period of rising rates, you know, and what we're seeing in our companies is that the performance has been strong, but performance has been slowing. Um, as a credit investor, that's not necessarily the worst thing in the world. Um, but I think that we should continue to see that performance um you know, continue to moderate. And then the question is, okay so so what what does that mean as a credit investor? Um, and I think the backdrop and where you started off is that the rate environment um, has made it such that the, the yield profile of, of really first lien protected assets, whether it's in uh, a CLO structure or just uh, uh, a broadly syndicated loan or even a direct lending loan um, is basically you know a, a double digit, a double-digit yield. So I think that the backdrop as a credit investor is that performance has been slowing on fundamentals. We don't necessarily need double-digit revenue growth for these companies. We just need um, you know, stability. And the yield uh, profile of, of these companies, given the rate and dra- backdrop, has been really, really attractive.
0: But are you not surprised, though, Rob? Just going back to my original point—that you know, rates did really jump very quickly and much further than anyone really expected—that that these borrowers can actually keep up with the the interest
2: payments? Uh, we're not surprised, because again, I think we we look at it from a very mathematical perspective, and and going into this this rising rate environment, we were modeling we're modeling this. What's happened right now in terms of um, increasing base rates, and then you can model out. Okay, what does that mean for cash flow coverage for these companies um, going into this? The cash flow coverage was at all time highs, and so even with SOFR moving up uh, to where it is right now, we're still seeing uh, very, very healthy um, uh, cash flow coverage from these companies. And I think we always get to ask the question: Well, are you worried that somehow? Um, as rates go up, we're going to see more default activity as a result. And my view is that for a company that's otherwise a performing business has a higher uh, interest expense burden, I don't think that we ever see those companies um, as being default candidates. I think that as long as the business is performing, um, there's sponsors supportive, capital markets are supportive. I think for those businesses that already have their own Uh, idiosyncratic issues, for sure, a slow growth environment and a higher rate environment will be issues for those companies. And we have seen defaults pick up um, this year, even though they're still basically in line with historical averages.
1: So the thought has been that there might be a soft landing. But what if the Federal Reserve can't maneuver that and we have a harder landing? How do you as a credit investor brace for that?
2: Sure. I think that um, a couple things. One is now more than ever, Credit selection is just absolutely critical. Making sure that we're staying in Blackstone, we'd like to talk about good neighborhoods. Make sure that we're staying in good neighborhoods, um, and make sure that we're lending to larger companies that are more resilient um, and with good businesses and good management teams. So I think just like any other investor, um, if we think that um, you know we're concerned about uh, the fundamental backdrop, making sure that we're positioned um, correctly, and I think that the yield environment is more than compensating you for that for that risk.
1: Rob, you're the global head and we're based right now, you're in London. So I would love to hear your take on the difference between what you see between US and European credit at the moment?
2: Sure. It's a good question. And we've been spending a lot of time looking at that um, as it relates to actually the CLO market. Um, and so looking at the underlying positions in US CLOs uh, versus European silos, and both of those uh, markets do have their own nuances. The U.S. market tends to have greater diversity in the underlying collateral. Um, The European market has relatively less diversity, uh, but there are quality differences and biases in each of those portfolios. I would say that in Europe, what we've seen is also a very, very benign uh, default environment. We've also tended to see higher recoveries uh, in the European market, which I think is interesting, and so if you're looking at both structures, the, Europe, the U.S. market, I think, is, um, y- you know, benefits from greater trading liquidity. I think if you look at Europe, um, you know, the the fundamentals from a default standpoint or even a triple C standpoint seem to be a bit better right now.
1: One of the hot topics this year has been private credit CLOs. I know you do both. Regular way CLOs and private credit CLOs. What's your th- thought on the growth of the private credit CLO market, and do you think there'll ever be one in Europe?
2: Uh, well, starting with that last point, uh, uh, I think for sure. I think it's an interesting topic. It's just it's showing that the markets have continued to evolve. We've seen convergence of um, of financing from. Uh, on the large side from the BSL market, the broadly syndicated loan market into the private credit market. And now we're seeing that same convergence in the CLO side um, as we're basically lending to larger companies and we're, secure, we're using that same technology to securitize and finance those companies. Um, and so I don't see any reason why we wouldn't continue to see that evolution both from a, uh, an asset perspective but also from an investor perspective and a ge- geographical perspective as well.
0: What about the maturity wall um, for leveraged loans and junk bonds? That needs to be refinanced. It's going to be much
2: more expensive. Is that not going to be a big uh, problem coming up? I'll give the same answer um, as I gave previously on on uh, your question around interest expense. I think for companies that are otherwise healthy and performing companies, there is a pretty active uh Financing or refinancing market uh, for those businesses, both in the broadly syndicated loan market, as well as in the private um, or direct market. Um, I think for businesses that are already having their own issues, whatever those are, I think for sure they're going to have difficulty refinancing. Um, and I think when you look at kind of default activity right now, it's it's basically those businesses. It's not a big part of the market, but I think that that's what Basically characterizes that that tail risk of the market, but if you're if you're talking about a company that's otherwise performing, interest expense is higher or the cost of capital is higher, um, those companies I think pretty easily get refinanced in in either the BSL market or the direct lending market.
1: Do you think it's a problem that CLO issuance has been less than robust? and you look at resets, your 40% of CLOs are going to go out of their reinvestment periods by the end of the year. What does that do to this ability to for issuers to refinance?
2: Sure. So I think the answer, um, unfortunately, is a bit nuanced. And so uh, you're you're pointing out a data point that by the end of this year, we think that 40% of the market... We'll go out of reinvestment period. I think that that number ebbs and flows with arbitrage as the arbitrage looks more interesting, which is really a function of AAA levels. Uh, many of those transactions get refied and reset, um, even though at this moment they're, they're not. Um, and I think that f- for companies that are or for loans that are in those structures, many of those structures have the ability to actually extend or, or refinance in those in, within, within the CLO, even if the CLO is out of their, their reinvestment period. And I think it all just comes down to where we started this conversation, which is, what is what's the view of the underlying company and the underlying fundamentals of those companies. And for those companies that are performing, whether they're in a CLO that's in reinvestment or out of reinvestment, um, the, there'll be a capital markets, or there is a capital markets takeout for them, uh, both in the BSL side and the direct side.
0: When we look at the default risk, um, you know, we're talking a lot about the recession risk, more than anything, um, you know, it has continued to be delayed. Um, our economists, I think, expect a recession starting later this year. Um, you know, in, in that case, defaults and spreads should be much, much higher, shouldn't they?
2: I think when we look at um, the default environment um, right now, we're we're sort of mid twos in the U.S. And if you uh, that's for the index, if you look at managers default records, I think that's um, on average below one percent right now, Um, depending on what bank estimate you look at. I think we think that the default rate in the U.S. probably goes somewhere into the threes. Um, which is again, I think essentially in line with long term averages. and Europe is probably similar. Um, so I think we uh, are focused on the tail risk of of the market and tail risk of portfolios and making sure that we're positioned with um, the best companies and best borrowers and the best uh, industries that we can be. I think the the direction of travel for default rate is probably north from here, but I also think that's still you know, a low single-digit type of number.
1: Are you worried, about, worried at all about the recovery levels? The recovery levels this year haven't been great, but there's some argument that maybe they will pick up because the worst companies go first, or is it something that we're seeing a secular shift?
2: Well, I think that's definitely true, Lisa, and I'm glad that you said that because I think so often um, there's a, a recovery rate at uh, a trough period of time is then compared to a long-term average. And we say, okay, well, recovery rates are low this year in this period of stress, whatever the period of stress is, whether it's uh, the GFC or, or COVID. Uh, and then they're compared to a 20-year long-term average. And so I do think that um, you need to look at that point in time exactly as the way that, that you, you articulate it. But I would also say that uh, particularly in the U.S., the LME uh, liability management exercises that we have seen, even though the, the number of those uh, situations has been relatively small, I think for sure that hasn't had an impact on, on recoveries. And as I said before, we haven't really seen that dynamic in Europe, which I think is pretty interesting.
0: So just to wrap it up, Rob, um, before we talk to David Havens at Bloomberg Intelligence, you seem very optimistic. You, you know, the, the outlook seems very benign. Um, but again, again, rates do keep rising. The earnings are under pressure. The recession, you know, maybe that doesn't happen immediately, but it is coming. Do we not really, um, you know, is it, is it not too too rosy in this in this environment? I mean, surely we expect more bankruptcy and distress at some point.
2: Well, I think Lisa, uh, who knows me, knows that I'm not normally a rosy person, but I will say um, this backdrop in credit is, um, you know, we haven't seen anything like this from an opportunity set in in quite some time from a yield perspective and return perspective. Um, I agree. I think, you know, in a rising rate environment, that is going to translate to slower growth uh, for the companies that we're lending to. I think that favors... Um, credit selection and sector selection is as, as we talked about um, and I think default rates tick up mildly but I think that um, all of that is is you know mitigated again by selection and I think relative to the opportunity set it's it's um, you know it's it's actually a pretty interesting time and also um, you know when we look back at the history of, of volatility I think some of that, those periods have have really been our best uh, our best moments for credit opportunity, and we expect that we'll we'll continue to see those periods. And we're um, you know from a, a buying and investment perspective, again, as long as you you're making good credit selection, those are great opportunities.
0: Great stuff, Rob Zabel, global head of liquid credit strategies at Blackstone. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. And Lisa Lee with Bloomberg News in London. Brilliant to see you again. Cheers.
1: Great. Thank you so much for having me. Bye-bye.
0: So, as I mentioned earlier, we're joined by David Havens with Bloomberg Intelligence in New York. Besides being highly knowledgeable about non-bank lenders, he's a football fan who used to be a DJ, so this will be good. How's it going, David?
3: Uh, Very good, thank you.
0: Great. So, we're here to talk about middle market lending and private credit. It's a rapidly growing market. Tons of excitement about it at the moment. All the big asset managers are in, chasing fat returns. It's the golden age, or so they say. But break it down for us,
3: David. Why all the hype right now? Well, it's been one of the uh, the fastest growing areas of uh, of finance for a couple of years. We've seen this uh, sector come out of about uh, come from. Uh, almost nothing not too long ago to over a trillion dollars in uh, in total assets. We've also seen the sector perform quite well versus uh, a number of different investment sectors. Private credit so far has had relatively low volatility and above average returns. So it's opened a lot of eyes and, and a lot of people have been drawn to it, particularly when rates were extremely low and yields are very hard to come by.
0: But just so everyone knows what we're talking about, because there is, I think, quite a lot of confusion, what exactly do we mean by private credit and also middle market lending? What what are we talking
3: about here? Yeah, so, so middle market lending is lending to mid-sized businesses, just like what it sounds like. It's it's not lending to the Fortune 500. It's lending to uh, the next echelon of companies below that. So you're talking about companies that might have $500 million to a $1 billion of total revenues or, or earnings, however you want to measure that. Uh, and that area is an area that was, uh, as a result of some of the changing the bank regulations, has sort of fallen between the cracks. Banks aren't really being... Uh, are, are actually kind of being disincentivized from lending to those businesses. And into that that vacuum, you've gotten some private lenders come in, you've gotten business development companies. And it's kind of a wide array what private credit really means. A lot of it has to do with funding private equity deals. And other aspects of it have to do with funding regular standalone companies, family businesses, things like that.
0: And the private nature of it, I mean, um, it sounds all a bit uh, shady, but you're just going into a, a dark room somewhere and we're just negotiating what, what, what why is it private? It sounds you know,
3: what, what, why the word? So, so the differentiation is really rather than uh, going to a broad audience of public bondholders, uh, the the company that's borrowing the money is going directly to a lender or several lenders to get the financing in place. It, it's what you would have thought of as being traditional corporate bank lending 20, 30 years ago.
0: I mean, we've both been doing this a while. It sounds like old school, just loans to me. But um, let's talk about BDCs, though, business development corporations. What are they? How are they structured? Why why are they so hot?
3: Yeah, so business development companies, I think, achieve a couple of things. First off, there's a degree of, uh, of tax benefit associated with business development companies that, that aren't necessarily available to some other funds, Uh like REITs business development companies which actually came about at about the same time under US tax codes and, and investment regulations uh, don't pay income taxes the uh, the, the income from these uh, these entities gets passed through directly to the investors who then pay the taxes uh, on the uh, on the earnings uh, and I think that what we've seen recently is that business development companies have come out of the shadows a bit as private equity concerns and alter alternative asset managers like Blackstone, KKR, Ares and others have found a, a sort of a niche where they can operate with these business development companies that makes sense for a group of new investors that they're courting a largely retail audience.
0: And the BDCs have essentially they're borrowing in let's say public markets they're issuing bonds and then they're they're lending to smaller companies, middle market companies privately directly
3: bilaterally is that right? That's right. And the, the, basically what they're doing is they're, they're doing some spread arbitrage. They're, they're leveraging their business somewhat. So you generally have about $2 of loans for every dollar of equity at a business development company. The business development company goes to a group of banks. It goes to public bondholders to borrow money. It borrows money at X, and then it finds uh, customers, uh, borrowers, themselves come to the business development company for loans and rather than paying X they play, They generally pay X plus 600 basis points 6% or so.
0: So the bonds of the BDCs, um, how are they trading
3: against similar debt? Is there some relative value there? I think there's definitely relative value No question about that. Uh, If you look at where the investment grade business development companies trade, they're generally triple B issuers. Uh, Where they trade relative to triple B financials overall, there's several hundred basis points of excess spread at business development companies. I think that that probably reflects a couple of different things. One, I think that there's some trepidation in the market regarding. Private credit—it does sound a little bit scary. I think, as you mentioned before, uh, and then the second thing is that we've seen this over the years is that uh, some investors view business development companies and their alternative asset manager uh, advisors as de facto competitors, and there's a reluctance to fund some of those competitors. And then finally, the economy is a little bit soft. Interest rates have been going up. You're beginning to see coverage ratios. Uh, at the, uh, at the borrower level decline. So there's concern that there's going to be an increased level of default rate activity from very low levels within the portfolios.
0: So, yeah, let's talk about the scary part of it. I mean, high-yield lending in the shadows. We don't really know what the risks are. We can't see them, you know, the transparency um, issues. I mean, how worried do you think we should be? Let's say we are heading into a, defo- uh, sorry, a, a recession. Um, how
3: worried should we be about a big increase in defaults? I think it's definitely going to be coming down the pike, and you can look at you know, and you don't have to depend on me. Uh, Moody's came out with a report uh, back in May where they estimate that the uh, default rate activity on uh, single B rated credits, uh, the sort of things that you would find at a business development company, they expect that to go up to about 5.6 percent from 3 percent um, over the next year. Uh, our own uh, equi- my own equity uh, colleagues here. Estimate that you're going to see uh, BDC portfolio default rates, non non accrual rates, go from less than 2% to 3.4% in the next year. So there's definitely going to be, or, or there's definitely the expectation that there's going to be deterioration. However, it's important to put all of this into context. Like I said earlier, there's $2 of loans for every dollar of equity at these business development companies. So if you see, let's say, a 4% default rate, and you have a 50% loss on each one of those loans that defaults, you're only talking a couple of percentage points of the business development company's uh, equity capital uh, cushion. So these companies have the ability to to actually manage these losses and probably quite a few more losses. And then you can compare that to other lenders. Banks, for example, probably have, I don't know, 8 or $10 dollars of investments or assets for every dollar of equity. So they're a more highly leveraged business. You see that at life insurance companies as well. So these are these are not highly leveraged entities, the business development companies. They do lend to leveraged borrowers, but the BDCs themselves are not highly leveraged.
0: So is the risk then, you mentioned that their triple B rate, of which is the lowest tier of investment grade, is the risk then more like that they would be cut to junk at, one, at some point?
3: Yeah, I, I think that you'd probably have to have a very severe recession uh, in order to see the, the business development companies get, uh, see their ratings get reduced into the double B category. Uh, the, when the rating agencies assign ratings to these entities, they don't assign them on the basis that there's going to be uh, rainbows and unicorns in the economy forever. They assign ratings based on a reasonable worst-case scenario that would factor in a fairly significant economic downturn.
0: So i just step back from the investor side, though. I mean, you know, private credit, BDCs, all this stuff, they're obviously making a bit more return because they they, they lend, um, you know, you, you lose the transparency, you lose the liquidity, you get a bit more return. Is it really worth it for most investors, given that, you know, they can get 5% now on a, on
3: a treasury bond? Uh, well, that's, that's actually a very good question. Now, now, one of the reasons that you saw business development companies and private credit grow so much during... Period of of zero interest rates is that rates cert- just weren't available. So business development companies, private credit, was sort of a, a an oasis in the desert. Uh, you know the desert has been filled with with water now in the form of higher interest rates. Uh, but now you're contending with inflation. So if you want to get a real return, again you have to look to higher yielding sectors. Yes, you can get five percent in a thirty you know in a short term money market fund or something, but you're matching. Uh, inflation. If you want to get a real return, uh, then you have to take on a little bit of risk, some in some way or another.
0: So, just to wrap it up, David, um, give us your outlook for the next, let's say, 12 months or so. What are you most worried about, and where do you see the opportunity?
3: Yeah, I think the real concern is, is simply in the economy. Now, the good news there is that uh, we're beginning to see the expectation of a recession, at least the consensus expects a recession to be somewhat lower today than it was a few months ago. But the economy continues to be a little bit soft. The, the messages continue to be mixed. Uh, interest rates uh, are applying pressure to the borrowers at private credit lenders. Um, and all of that is probably going to result in, in an increased level of default rate activity. And then I think we also have to turn our eyes to the geopolitical situation, which is obviously getting interesting, unfortunately. And, uh, and that could begin to you know, sort of weigh on overall market sentiment and, um, and things like that. Business development companies in the eyes of investors are probably a higher beta asset, meaning that uh, if the market moves by X basis points, they might move a double that. So if there's some downward uh, volatility in the markets, I would expect business development companies to maybe get hurt. But you've got a lot of cushion in the form of excess rates or excess yields at the same time.
0: David Havens with Bloomberg Intelligence in New York, thank you so much for joining us. Pleasure. We look forward to having you back on the show very soon and do check out David's uh, great analysis on the Bloomberg Terminal. Thanks again also to Rob Zabel, head of Liquid Credit and CLOs at Blackstone, and Lisa Lee from Bloomberg News. Read all of Lisa's great scoops on the Terminal and, of course, at Bloomberg.com. And please do subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. We're on Apple, Google, and Spotify. Give us a review, tell your friends, or email me directly at jcrumby 8 at Bloomberg.net. That's J-C-R-O-M-B-I-E, as in my surname, and the number 8, at Bloomberg.net. I'm James Crumbie. It's been a pleasure having you. Join us again next week on The Credit Edge.